0: This is episode 327 with registered dietitian, running coach, and former track athlete for the University of Richmond, Kylie Van Horn. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and my singular goal is to help you improve your running by getting stronger, racing faster, preventing more injuries, and achieving more of your goals. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. You can learn more about me and Strength Running at strengthrunning.com. And if you enjoy this show, then please support our partners who are offering you some great deals on amazing products that will help your performances and overall health. First up is the high nutrient probiotic drink, AG1. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune system-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. You can't be fast if you're not first healthy, so visit drinkag1.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly subscription to make this part of your ongoing nutrition plan. See all the details at drinkag1.com Jason. We're also brought to you by our very own Performance Training Journal, which is now available on Amazon and initially debuted as the number four new release in the running category. I've always loved the visceral feeling of holding a hard copy training journal in your hands and writing in it daily can improve your motivation and help you learn more about yourself as a runner. The journal focuses on the training metrics that actually matter, while ignoring those that don't. It prioritizes a long-term outlook so you don't take any shortcuts, and it maintains your motivation with strategic self-praise. I've also included example training weeks from some of my personal best weeks during my running career, tips on injury prevention and strength training, and more. Get your copy of the Performance Training Journal today on Amazon. All right. My guest today is Kylie Van Horn, a sought-after sports dietitian here in Colorado who works with some of the best trail and road runners out there. Kylie has a BA in biology and pre-veterinary medicine from the University of Richmond and a bachelor's of science in human nutrition from Metropolitan State University in Denver. She completed her dietetic internship through the University of Northern Colorado. She is a running coach, a featured bi-monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine, and the founder of Fly Nutrition, where she offers nutrition services to athletes around the world. You can learn more about Fly Nutrition at flynutrition.org. In this conversation, we're focusing on a wide-ranging topics like underfueling, why backloading your calories may not be the best idea, her views on intermittent fasting and restricted eating, the habits that you can create around your diet, muscle soreness, whether runners should take creatine, and a lot more. If these conversations are interesting to you, you can also download a bonus podcast episode with another registered dietitian at strengthrunning.com slash nutrition QA. And now without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Kylie Van Horn. Hey, Kylie. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. We are going to talk about something that I don't talk about nearly enough. We're always talking about the training and the running and all the workouts we do and all the strategy that goes into that. But I'm excited to talk to you about all the other things that can really impact our performance as runners. And a big one of them is our nutrition. But before we get into all that, and, and I know we're going to go down the rabbit hole, I'd love to hear a little bit more about about your background as an athlete, Kylie.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I was a runner since I've been ten years. Was I was ten years old. My dad is a um, Olympic Trials uh, marathon qualifier, um, and grew up in that household. Ran high school. Uh, ran at the University of Richmond in college. Uh, and then post collegiately, I, uh, ran with some groups in Boulder when I moved out to Colorado, um, and tried to qualify for the trials myself, but missed it by a few minutes back in 2012 and then switched to trail. Uh, and honestly, I love nothing against road running, but trail running has been life-changing. Uh, it's just, I feel like the community has Um, been really great for me just a little bit more laid back at times and um, and it's allowed for me to just get out and explore the area where I live Um, in the mountains now I live near Aspen Colorado so uh, mostly compete in uh, in trail running events now and do some Nordic skiing and ski mountaineering too
0: Oh, that's so fun. And I, and I love how you're having this like new season of running after, you know, your road racing season after your college training, uh, that's just really fun. And you certainly live in probably one of the best States for amazing trail running. Um, so yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about endurance runners and the mistakes that we make with our, our eating and nutrition habits Let's start with common mistakes. I, I think you know, you're a dietitian that works with so many endurance athletes, runners, also triathletes. And I wonder if you happen to see the same nutrition or diet problems that come up repeatedly.
1: Yeah, I do. And I think um, it's by no mistake of of anyone out there because there is a lot of conflicting nutrition information out there. And I feel like people get confused Um, and that's what I try to do with my messaging is to clarify some of that and try to um, sometimes it might sound oversimplified, but when I work one-on-one with someone, we're going to dive into details on their specifics of their nutrition. But overall, I want the message to be clear um, of, of things that should be happening for overall fueling strategy. Um, so in regards to, um, you know, race fueling, I would say like, oftentimes there are things that are missed, uh, if someone's having stomach issues, uh, they might start thinking, oh, well, I need to eat less or I need to change up my fuel source. And that might be the case, but also it could be that you need to eat more. It could be that you need to dial in your fluid and electrolyte strategy. Um, so thinking outside the box there when troubleshooting your fueling plan, uh, when we look at daily nutrition, I think there are a lot of fads out there. Um, so we always joke, well, you and I have joked uh, on my Instagram about, you know, so and so down the street is doing this latest diet trend. Um, and uh, for endurance athletes, that might not be the best strategy to do the newest diet trend or the newest uh, thing that you need to cut out of your diet. Um, I think it's talked about you know, on the other end of the spectrum, it's talked about eating enough. And I think that that concept of eating enough people, people don't really understand what that means, because they're like, well, like, do I just eat until I'm full? Or like, what if I'm, you know, I'm never hungry. And so there's like all these things that that happen with people where they don't really understand what enough is for them. And that's the piece where, you know, someone like myself, or another sports dietitian can help try to figure out what your needs are to match your training day. And what does that look like from a sustainability perspective for you um, to try and figure out what's going to work long-term. But I'm not about like extreme restriction and cutting things out of the diet and some magical like supplement that so-and-so said is going to, you know, help with performance. Um, I do like to take an open mind. Uh, if there's, you know, new research out there. But I think that that can ultimately confuse people um, if they're, you know, just seeing one study and saying like, this is the end all be all to a situation. So I would say that's a, that's a problematic area. And then, um, you know, the supplement piece, always a problematic area, like what should I take? What should I not be taking? Um, do I need 50 different supplements? Do I not? Um, and, and wading through that again is difficult. Like for the most part, you don't necessarily need 50 different supplements, but in certain cases, certain supplements might actually be beneficial to you, depending on what you're trying to achieve. So again, working with somebody that understands like evidence-based, uh, science, and then also companies that might be reputable. So you might be able to then gather like what you what might be beneficial for you, um, can be helpful, uh, when you're working with someone that's a professional in the area. Um, so does that kind of, I mean, it's so broad. There's so many things I would say, so many common mistakes that people make, uh, that it's difficult to, for me almost to pick out like all of the different things that people get confused about or, um, make mistakes on with their nutrition.
0: Yeah, it's almost like an endless list of of things you maybe could get wrong. Um, But at the same time, it's also something that we probably shouldn't overcomplicate. I'd love to talk a little bit more about not eating enough. You You mentioned how a lot of runners don't understand what enough means. How do you determine what is enough? Do you actually have to go get metabolic testing and figure out your basal metabolic rate and how much you're exercising? Is it that complicated? Or is there a little workaround to, to figure out how many calories we need? And I'm also curious if you break things down a little bit more uh, granularly into macronutrients as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, so this is where, um got to tread lightly with someone's history. Like some of my athletes, yeah, we actually go and they get metabolic testing done because it's something that they feel confident that they want to learn and that they're, they feel like they're using it as a learning tool and not an overly obsessive tool. And so with certain people, I will do that. Um, but for a lot of the population that I work with, um, we don't, we don't need to go to that extreme. And there are um, guidelines and standards that we can use to estimate uh, what your needs are for different days of training for protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And normally I'm doing that versus like straight calorie counting because a lot of people have already negative relationships with calories. Um, so our macronutrients are going to add up to calorie caloric intake. Um, so taking a macronutrient focus and then Applying visuals to those macronutrients can be really helpful because, um, for a lot of people, counting numbers and and obsessing over that, again, it can be triggering um, and and just really not productive overall, too time consuming for them as well. Um, So, things like that, think numbers can be used maybe as a learning tool, but really ultimately, having confidence in a visual um, perspective can be really nice with like protein, carbon, fat consumption. Um, and then I think something that's lost, um, in the endurance space is that, um, intuition piece too, like the ability, we get so caught up in like the stress of our training, the stress of our lives. Um, we are kind of mechanical maybe, and just like getting in food or not getting in food. And we, start to forget about hunger and fullness and what that actually looks like. Um, and that can be individualized, uh, but getting some awareness around hunger and fullness cues and how do I actually feel? How does this food make me feel? Am I satisfied? Am I not? Um, can be really helpful tool in helping you kind of determine like what your needs are without, you know, getting metabolic testing and, and whatnot. I think it's important to re- remember that our bodies are not, Um, calculated machine. So even if you have a metabolic reading, like you're not hooked up to a metabolic cart 24/7, So you're not fully uh, going to know what your energy requirements are. It's still all an estimation. So being able to read your body is really important. Um, I think something that is also uh, lost in on that side of things is like, just eating intuitively, like people get stressed about that, because they're like, well, that doesn't work for me. And like, I'm not hungry, because I'm endurance training, and like, I lose my appetite. Um, So I think having the ability to be, I call it intentional, but also intuitive is really important in combining the two. And knowing that intentionally, like, after a hard workout, or after a long training session, I might not be hungry, but I need to fuel myself. Um, so those are just some of the kind of tips I usually give people. And then depending on the person too, like the use of something like a, um, a tracking tool like chronometer or something might be a way to get a look at what you're doing. But again, there's still discrepancy there. We know that the tracking tools have inaccuracies, there's human error, and then there's, um, fitness tool error as well. Like our watches and whoop straps and all of that are going to have a up to like 20% inaccuracy as well. So there we, again, we can get ideas and trends from these things, but we have to know uh, how to read our bodies too.
0: Yeah. It seems it's just, just like with our training as well, you know, there's always value in having a fancy GPS watch that tells you all these metrics But if you can't also layer in some intuitive feelings of how you're feeling when you're running a workout or in a race or a long run, you know, you end up missing some things. And so I I love this marriage of using some of this data in these tools in a really strategic way, but then also relying on just how you feel after you eat and what you think you need. It does seem like a lot of this is, is habit related, you know, I think we all understand intellectually that we have to fuel our running, but a lot of us are parents or have crazy schedules or just are super busy or we travel a lot. And, and then it becomes more challenging to be able to eat enough food to support the training that we're doing. Are there any, you know, simple habit changes that you've found to be really effective for endurance runners who might struggle to get in the, the number of calories or even carbohydrate that they need?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is where, um, it, it, unfortunately it does require a little bit of upfront effort (laughs) trying to figure out like what that's going to look like for you. I think this is the, one of the foundational skills that I like to teach athletes is the planning process and like thinking of thinking ahead, like, do I have a big training week coming up? What does that look like? And then in my planning process, um, can I, Can I think ahead for that and be able to like have things on hand that will help me because I know I'm going to be busy or I know I'm going to run the kids places or I'm traveling for work. And then if you have those um, things in in place uh, that you can use in your toolbox, then that can help you meet your needs. So things like um, examples might be um, where you uh, have a hard time getting calories in on increased training days, but you know that you need a higher amount of fats because they are going to give you extra calories overall. Um, so do you have nut butter packets available? Do you drizzle a little bit of extra olive oil in your normal meals? Um, do you have, um, I don't know, just making sure you have avocado available or something, you know, like making sure you have the staples to help you achieve those increased needs. Car- uh, carbohydrate wise, sometimes we need to maybe think outside of our box, um, and think through, okay, well, if I'm short on time and I'm exercising a lot this day and I have increased carb needs, maybe I should have some juice available. And like some people out there might freak out because they like, are like, oh my gosh, juice is like pure sugar and I shouldn't be drinking that, etc. And everyone's preferences might be different, but the reality is, is like under overall might be worse for you and your blood sugar control than having some juice to help you meet your carb needs. Um, And I think like I even work with athletes on like, okay, like having this juice pre or post exercise could be a really good option for you to have a quick carb source to get your energy up or replace glycogen source. Like if you're really worried about that or like pairing your um, pairing this juice with a protein source could help keep your blood sugar a little bit more balanced. Um, so you get your carbs and you get um, some protein in to keep your, keep your blood sugar more balanced. So there are nutrition strategies that you can use uh, to try and, um, you know, make things more convenient for you, but also meet your needs in a way that's going to work. Uh, I do the same thing with like people that are traveling for business, et cetera. Like what easy snacks could you pack for yourself so that you can, uh, prepare yourself when you're on your business trip, or is there a convenience store nearby? What could you get at the convenience store that would help you meet your needs? And thinking about that ahead of time, versus in the moment, like I was just talking with a, an athlete earlier, that's a fitness trainer, and a runner, and she like works out literally like 25 hours a week, like with everything all together. And we're trying to think through um, ways that she can like pack things to go with her and grab things conveniently, etc. So, you know, thinking through a, um, a core list, of items to kind of help you if you know that like carbs are really hard for you to get in or protein or fats, like whatever macronutrients, you know, are hard for you. um, Thinking through that and then um, having that available for you so that you don't have that decision fatigue. Sometimes the decision fatigue in the moment is also what prevents people from fueling themselves because they're like, oh, I don't really want to think about this. This is uh, not going to be uh, convenient for me. I really just, you know, it's, it's, I might as well not fuel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, Kylie, I had a small can of pineapple juice earlier today on a meeting because I didn't really have time to eat anything. And I did have this really interesting, like split second moment of guilt where I thought I was going to be judged because, I was drinking juice and I'm a running coach. I need to be advising people on healthy habits. And it was just really interesting thing. I was like, no, I just went for a run. I don't really have time right now for a whole sandwich or something. So I'm just gonna have this can of pineapple juice. And uh, yeah, it was exactly what you, were, what you were just mentioning. And it held me over until I could actually eat some real food. Um, I wanna talk a little bit more about protein though. I think this is a macronutrient that a lot of runners don't think too much about because our performances are not fueled by protein, but nevertheless, protein is in my mind, maybe the most important macronutrient, although we can have a a brawl about that later. Um, Tell me about some problems you see with endurance runners and protein, like obviously not getting enough is going to hamper your recovery, but I I saw you talk in, in another venue about how, having protein not spaced evenly throughout the day can also be a problem. I'd love to hear your thoughts more on this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when we look, uh, from our perspective of maximum muscle protein synthesis rates, whether it's like somebody that's strength training or doing endurance sports, um, you know, part of the goal is to, uh, break down and then repair. And so in order to do that, if we actually uh spread our protein out throughout the day more evenly it can help us reach those maximum muscle protein synthesis rates and help with maximum rate of recovery and adaptation and so when i'm working with people i like to evaluate not only are you getting in the things that you need with protein or carbs or fats but how does that look throughout the day and and how are you um kind of timing things i guess Um, i think uh, with protein specifically, uh, I like to think about it, um, in boxes, like trying to fill your boxes with like smaller amounts of protein throughout the day, just to be able to conceptualize what that looks like for you. Um, and, uh, the other thing I just thought I forgot about this piece too, would be the, uh, blood sugar balance piece. So thinking through, um, you know, that when you, have your protein spread out throughout the day, it can keep your blood sugar, it allows for the for carbohydrate to release into the bloodstream a little bit more slowly, keep the blood sugar a little bit more even throughout the day and give you a more steady energy. Um, it can um, allow if we don't have as many blood sugar spikes and drops, it might keep your inflammation levels more stable um, and get that recovery time, help you feeling more recovered uh, throughout your day. So lots of reasons why spreading protein out throughout the day is important and not just maybe that amount, uh, overall. Um, and then, yeah, strategy wise, I like for people to think about filling their boxes up throughout the day, um, to kind of achieve that goal of meeting needs. Um, and then really trying to think through, Um, I I would say the people that struggle the most with this are going to be plant-based athletes. Um, But when I've worked with my plant-based athletes, even those that are really struggling getting in like 50% of their needs at the beginning when we get started, we always brainstorm through like higher protein snack ideas and like, you know, things like dried edamame can be a great source of protein So, trying to think outside of their box of like a protein bar as the only option to get in protein um, can be really helpful. So, that's where, like, you know, it takes, I want to bring this back to with anything that you're working on with your nutrition, it takes a little bit of effort up front to figure out what that's going to look like for you and the how you're going to make it happen. And then moving forward, you have some. Uh, strategies or nutrition skills in place. I like I like to call it my adaptable athlete. So you can adapt in any situation, whether you're traveling or, you know, in a place that you can only go to the convenience store or whatever, um, you're able to adapt to that situation.
0: I actually think what you just said is is so critically important that I want to highlight it because I think you know, we understand as athletes that we have to exercise differently than the average person to accomplish uh, our athletic goals. But that also means that we typically have to eat a little bit differently than the average person because it needs to fuel our exercise, which is very different than the average person. And I think having a plan ahead of time is so helpful, but also not something most of us ever even think about. Because eating is something that we're going to be doing, whether we're running or not running. It's something that we all have to do every day, no matter what. And so we don't usually put a plan around our diet, unless we have some weight loss goal. But if we're athletes, our goal is fueling those workouts and recovering properly from those workouts. So having a plan and just thinking ahead, just like you would with your training is probably, you know, from a habits perspective, I think just as important because it's going to allow you to make the decisions, you know, you need to make in the moment so that you don't succumb to decision fatigue so that you don't just make the easy, you know, stress-free choice. You actually have some things prepped. You have the, you know, um, Food available at your house. And it really allows you to, to make all the decisions that, that are going to really help your, your training. Um, can this same thing happen with calories? Like, can you not spread out your calories appropriately? And, and can that negatively impact your training? Uh, and, and the specific reason I'm asking for this, because I know a lot of runners uh, backload their day when it comes to calories. You know, they might eat a small breakfast, a medium lunch. And then we'll have a big dinner and then maybe a good size post-bed snack or something like that. Is that problematic in any way?
1: It can, for some athletes, be a problem in the sense that it can lead to like binge episodes in the evening because you're just getting so um, ravenous that later on you like end up eating more than maybe what you would have originally needed if you were able to spread things out throughout the day. And it can affect blood sugar levels, et cetera. I think overall, if you're as long as you're getting in the energy intake that you need, if that works for you, great. But I also find that it can affect athletes' sleep quality too. Um, and when we look at, you know, having big meals before bedtime, and um, even just like very high carbohydrate intake right before bedtime might uh, cause some micro awakenings for people when they're sleeping and affect that sleep quality for recovery. Um, So thinking about, like, is this actually optimal for my overall recovery strategy? Maybe not. You know, again, like if you're meeting energy needs, might be okay. But I would argue that spreading it out a little bit more throughout the day, energy intake wise would be uh, beneficial.
0: Could either backloading your calories or even backloading your protein have an effect on how sore you are on a day to day basis? Because I know you were talking about muscle protein synthesis and, and having protein in a more regular pattern can really help with muscle protein synthesis. A lot of athletes hear that and they just think muscle growth, hypertrophy. But as runners, a lot of that for us is repairing all of the micro trauma that we experience when we do a long run or a workout. Um, you know, and ultimately, like I don't want to be that sore. I, I want to be able to run day to day is my protein intake directly responsible for how I'm feeling on a day-to-day basis with regard to soreness?
1: I think it's a little bit complicated because actually, like, if you don't get enough carbohydrates in, that might affect your muscle soreness and recovery too. So I think when we think about it, overall, energy intake is going to be king. Uh, And then... Um, From there, it might be a little bit more individualized, you know, in regards to like um, someone might be able to tolerate like a little bit less carbohydrate, but more protein and, and not feel sore and vice versa. So I think like thinking, um, thinking about experimenting, I always like for the athletes that we work with to think about experimenting with different things. Like I will experiment with people for, Different pre-bedtime protein, higher protein snacks, or maybe having a little bit more carb, but like still having some protein in their bedtime snack and figuring out what helps them feel the most recovered. Because I think it is while we are, in a sense, generalizing a little bit in some of the things that we're talking about, I think it's important to remember that we are all individuals and I think we will respond differently to different foods and different combinations of foods, et cetera. So that's um, that more personalized approach, I would say is is kind of figuring out what's going to work for you.
0: Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Kylie, and assume that you're probably not a fan of intermittent fasting or any kind of restricted eating pattern where you're definitely not eating for a certain period of time throughout the day. Would, would I be wrong there? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I try to keep an open mind with this kind of thing, but we work a lot with um disordered eating, eating disorders, um, and reds, uh relative energy deficiency in sport. And intermittent fasting does not um help those athletes uh with those conditions or the restrictive thoughts, et cetera. It actually perpetuates them. Um and from a sport specific endurance sport specific perspective looking at trying a couple of the things we were just talking about, looking at timing and spread of of nutrients throughout your day, like your protein intake. If you're intermittent fasting, you know, you might not be able to spread out uh, that protein as much throughout the day. Um, Are you maximally absorbing micronutrients? Like it's hard to, hard to say, but it makes it more difficult to get in your needs nutrition wise throughout the day. Now, Exceptions would be um, if somebody has uh, is like a diabetic, uh, there is research uh, emerging that that might be beneficial for blood sugar control and changes in the mitochondria. But even in our endurance athletes that would be diabetic, probably still wouldn't recommend it for them, but more the general population, it might be a topic of discussion for someone like that. Um, But usually with endurance athletes, we're not doing intermittent fasting or recommending intermittent fasting.
0: I want to ask you, Kylie, a little bit about eating before bed again. I know that it can negatively impact your sleep. I'm wondering if certain lower carbohydrate foods would have less of an impact on your sleep and whether or not it's actually more beneficial to eat a protein rich or a carbohydrate rich pre-bedtime snack.
1: So again, I think this comes down to individual responses because I actually have worked with athletes that, wear, that have worn continuous glucose monitors and um, they will test certain carbohydrate uh, rich foods and will have different blood sugar responses than maybe what they were even expecting. So like oatmeal or something, might, they might think it might not cause a spike in blood sugar, but it's actually causing a pretty big spike in blood sugar for them. Or an apple might cause someone to spike uh, one way and another person not spiking as much. So I think we do have to remember that there's still, again, that individuality on how we respond to foods, carbohydrate-rich foods in in general. Um, Overall, though, I tend to recommend a higher protein snack before bedtime because it can promote sleep quality and muscle repair when you are sleeping. Um, So trying to maybe focus on that a little bit might be beneficial. And then I I usually say like, yeah, combine it with a little bit of carbohydrate. But just my main thing is like some of my athletes that just eat like a bowl of cereal before bed with no protein with that um, or a piece of toast um, with jam or something. There's nothing wrong with that, but I have them compare that intake to a higher protein protein snack, like a yogurt with a little bit of granola and a little bit of fruit. And they notice a difference in they're not waking up in the middle of the night hungry. They feel more refreshed when they get up in the morning. Um, and there is some research to suggest that doing that higher protein snack before bedtime does actually promote muscle repair and recovery. Um, so thinking through, like, what could that look like for you? Um, Usually I recommend like 10 to 20 grams of high quality protein before bed. um, And then um, carbohydrate wise, 30 to 45 grams max. uh, And maybe, you know, we have to be mindful of how much we are eating before bed right before bedtime too, because that high GI load right before bed that can be hard because digestion can slow when you're sleeping. So, you know, that might make things difficult on your sleep too. Um, so that's why I kind of give some parameters for the pre-bedtime snack because it keeps it kind of within check. Um, obviously you can have a little bit more. I'm not limiting anyone on this, but some people like to have some guidelines.
0: Do you recommend continuous glucose monitors for non-diabetics? I've heard dietitians come down so firmly on either side of this debate. And, And my thinking is just that if you're curious and if there are all of these individual responses to certain foods, more data can help you make better decisions about your eating, not just what you're eating, but also when you're eating it. So I can see it as only a good thing as long as it's not going to, you know, predispose you to any kind of unhealthy eating habits.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think this is where um, people get caught up in like taking the extreme one side or the other. I don't take that extreme for continuous glucose monitors because um, I have successfully used them with athletes uh, for what you're saying. So, a couple of things like I found benefit with them for athletes that have higher A1C and they're in the pre-diabetic category, but like they are vegan and they don't understand, like they actually are getting protein in. They don't understand why their A1C is higher. So we might look at like what their trends are in their blood sugar. Um, I've used it for athletes having a GI distress um, or in their fueling plan um, and trying to figure out what options um, might make them feel better during their exercise. Um, I've used it for athletes that have uh, rebound hypoglycemia. uh, So their blood sugar spikes and drops uh, at the beginning of exercise and they feel like they might pass out. So trying to figure out what food options might be beneficial for them pre-exercise and then trying to keep that blood sugar more stable during exercise. Um, It's been really interesting to look um, at individual responses to gels and um, food blends Um, Some people uh, using whole food blends uh, do not have a great uh, response to like spring or mirror energy, like they can't get their blood sugar up and it actually makes them, they feel lower energy and it makes sense because their blood sugar is not going up very high. Um, And so um, being able to look through and visualize that data uh, with a CGM has been, Really beneficial for the people that I have used it with. Now, the counterpoint, um, because again, we work with a lot of disordered eating, et cetera, is that it can make people more obsessive, give them more data, and then that's just overwhelming, and it takes away from that into intuition that we were talking about earlier, and like not paying attention to the signs that your body is giving you. Um, so being careful, like if you're somebody that um, does have those kind of tendencies and habits, it might not be the best choice for them. But I can see pluses and minuses to using it um, and, and do work with athletes on using it uh, in certain situations. And I've even had um, athletes, I've worked with athletes one-on-one that I've requested that they request it from their doctor uh, and get a CGM so that we can get more data to see what's going on.
0: Yeah, if you see me running around with a CGM on my arm, uh, you'll know that I'm I'm firmly on the bandwagon. I I would love it. I think it's so interesting. I would love to look at my, you know, blood sugar levels at every hour of the day. I just think that's so fascinating. You know, my grandmother happens to be a type one diabetic. And whenever I visit her, she's still doing the old school prick your finger and test your blood every morning. And and I do that when I'm visiting her because I'm, I'm just so curious what it might be. Kylie, let me ask you some rapid fire questions. These are loaded questions. And so there's not going to be really a, an easy, good answer for you here, but I'd love to know your thoughts. Uh, do you have, do you think there's any highly underrated and highly overrated fuel options out there for distance runners?
1: I do actually feel like, uh, just traditional gels get such a bad rap. Uh, like even just like a goo energy gel, I will chat with athletes and they're like, I would never touch that. Or like, you know, a cliff energy gel or something. Um, and I think that they can actually be really beneficial to people. And even if you're not going to use it in your race, you could think about like, some of these gels are getting quite expensive. So you could actually use some cliff or goo that might be a little bit more affordable and you could use that in part of your training. And then as you're obviously, as you're getting closer to your race, you want to practice with what you're going to use on race day. But I think it's a great choice for people, for uh, people to use during exercise. Now, some people might cringe and don't like the texture or whatever, which is fine. Like everyone has individual preferences, but the point is, is I think like unnecessarily demonizing those is not, The best, Um, and then I think overrated are whole food options because (laughs) I think there's such a focus on using whole foods these days to fuel your exercise that the thought process is not there. Like if you're training for a half marathon or a marathon and you're thinking about all I should use is whole foods, you're in the wrong school of thought there (laughs) because you need quick energy source for quick carbohydrate source to give you the energy you need to be running quicker paces for half marathon marathon. If we're getting into ultra distance events, then we can talk about whole foods more. But I think for half marathon marathon, you should be using more traditional uh, fuel sources that could include maple syrup gels or honey gels or something like that if you're wanting to, to go that route. But the whole food options like eating potatoes or, you know, snacking on a bar during a marathon or a half that, uh, that I think is uh, not the greatest choice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this goes back to the idea that you are not a regular person. You are someone who races half marathons and marathons, you have to eat a little bit differently, just like you have to train a little bit differently than the person who's just exercising for general health. But Kylie, I had no idea that there was some sort of movement against traditional gels. What (laughs) is so wrong with a goo or a cliff gel these days? I I remember those were the gels that I fueled my entire running career on. And of course, there's some better options these days. You can go spend like, I don't know, you take out a mortgage for a box of Morton gels um, and and those might be better for you. But all in all, I'm a big fan of the simple things precisely because they are simple. Um, all right, let's move on. I have a very simple question. Do you think endurance athletes should be taking creatine? I'm seeing a lot of just talk about the value of creatine. And and this used to be like your gym bro meathead supplement. And now all of a sudden endurance athletes are thinking about taking it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think that the research is still, there's not a ton of research on endurance athletes yet, but There is some research emerging on the ability, if if you take in creatine, to help with glycogen replenishment rates um, post-exercise, potential for increased uh, heat tolerance, and just helping with the recovery process. Um, So it's not necessarily something that... It's actually one of the most studied supplements out there, and it's pretty safe. Um, so I, I don't think everyone needs to be taking it, but for somebody that might be a plant-based athlete, it might be a good option because they're not maybe getting in as much from their diet. Um, and then for somebody that's doing like higher volume, uh, training, uh, could be an option for them to explore.
0: Kylie, what is your favorite supplement for runners? Do you have anything that, uh, is a good recommendation even if, you know, you might be a very different runner from someone else?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> thinking through that, it, it's tough because I don't really like to generalize supplement protocols for people um, because I, there are a lot of things that and I know this message is, is perpetuated that like, oh, you can just try and get it in through your food. And the reality is that is hard for a lot of athletes to get everything in from their food. Um, I think a problem area is then taking something that has everything in it when you might not need like a, a greens drink or something, taking everything in and you might not need everything and then that's giving you too much of certain things. So I hesitate a little bit when recommending a supplement like, an everyday supplement for everyone, because I think that's difficult sometimes to answer. One, I will say that is common, uh, that athletes are usually short on and might want to consider taking is magnesium. Um, and magnesium, uh, levels for athletes for intake are elevated from the average layperson, And the problem is Um, That the food sources that contain magnesium, uh, even the high magnesium sources, it can make it quite difficult to reach your needs every day for magnesium. And so when you don't have enough magnesium, that can affect your ferritin levels, that can affect um, your muscle uh, cramping, cramping is complicated, but it can affect muscle cramping. Um, it can affect, um, nerve, tra- uh, pulse and in- transmission. Um, it has a number of different like enzymatic cellular things that it affects, um, brain health, all of these different things for magnesium. And I just see a lot of athletes only coming up at about 50% of intake when I do dietary, um, exploration with them. So that's one that potentially doing, um, a supplement might be beneficial, On that note, I do recommend doing a magnesium glycinate or a threonate if you are going to take magnesium. The oxide and citrate will leave you running to the bathroom, so I don't want to be responsible for that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is probably worth the price of admission for this podcast, is just knowing the right type of magnesium to take so that you don't make a grave, grave error. Kylie, thanks so much for for spending some time with us today and sharing your expertise on all things endurance nutrition. Uh, I certainly learned a lot and, and I think I'm going to be a little bit more strategic with how I'm patterning my calorie intake throughout the day, because I admittedly backload my calories. I I don't have the best, um, eating habits and, and I think that's, that's one reason why if, you know, I really want to take my training to the next level, I need to work on those habits, because the training will demand it. So you've given me a lot to think about. Thank you so much. Where can folks find you on online? Because I know that you share a ton of really helpful nutrition and diet related content. I know on Instagram, I'm a big fan of the work that you guys put out.
1: Yeah, so um, blind nutrition three on Instagram, and then my website, uh, flynutrition.org, and we actually have a lot of, um, like, uh, on-demand classes that we've done and handouts that people can purchase. So if you're not looking for one-on-one help, there are alternatives to that. Um, and then I write a lot for um, Trail Runner magazine, so you can find articles there that I've written um, if you want to read more on different sports nutrition topics.
0: And your website does a really good job at, at showing what articles you've written for trail runner magazine. So I'm going to include links to all of that in the show notes on strength running. Um, Kylie, thank you for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
0: And that's our show today. My friends, if you're a fan of the show, go ahead and give us a review and Apple music. I'm so appreciative of your support. You can also take advantage of our sponsors, discounts and gear. That's going to improve your training. first, I'm very grateful for the support of AG1, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. Like I mentioned in my conversation with Kylie, I don't eat perfectly and I do really love convenience. So I do find AG1 really helpful to help optimize my health by giving my body what it needs. You can learn more about it at drinkag1.com Jason. One scoop gives me 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a green superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly. And it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. Now I've got three kids, they are all in school, and I know I've got to support my immune system because I am no match for those little kid germs that they bring home. But what I really love about AG1 is that it changes. Over the last decade, they've made over 50 different improvements to the formula based on the latest research to make that formula more absorbable and more rigorous with the third-party testing that they do. Go to drinkag1.com/jason to see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You're going to get a year's worth of free vitamin D and 5 free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Those travel packs are super convenient. As I'm recording this, I'm getting ready to go on a short trip to Texas to see some friends. And you know I'm bringing enough AG1 in those little travel packets so that I can have one every day. You can sign up for a single shipment or if you want AG1 to be a part of your regular nutrition plan, you can get a monthly drop. Go to drinkag1.com Jason to sign up today. Finally, don't miss the Performance Training Journal, now available on Amazon. Now, since I started running back in 1998, I've kept a hard copy training journal. I have a whole bookshelf now of all my training journals throughout the years. And holding a tangible log, writing in it daily, and just reflecting on the ups and downs of running is a surefire way to improve. You're going to learn how to focus on the training metrics that matter. You're going to prioritize optimism in your running. You're going to focus on long-term progress and reflect on what's actually helping you improve in the long-term. With a no-frills functional design, the Performance Training Journal includes coaching advice on racing, injury prevention, strength training, and more. It will guide you through race scheduling, how to plan your race morning, the best workouts for endurance runners, and encourage you to track your personal bests over time. Most importantly, you're going to have the space to make this journal your own, whether you're a new runner or even a professional, a trail or road runner, or a mid-distance specialist or ultramarathoner. A detailed, performance-oriented training journal is one of the most effective and valuable training tools available. Don't just track your running, learn from it with a performance training journal. Check it out today on Amazon. All right, that's our show, runners. Thank you so much for subscribing, sharing the show with your friends. If you wanna support us, you can support any of our sponsors. You can review the podcast or get a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com. My number one goal is to elevate your running. So feel free to reach out through the Strength Running website or you can message me on Instagram at jasonfitz1. We'll be in touch.